The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and coming up this week, we're going to be reacting to the Leeds United game. We're going to be looking back at a year in takeover land. We're going to be speaking to Chris about his piece with Jamie Sterry uh, and we'll be delving into the archives to discuss Bobby Robson's Newcastle United at Ellen Road in 2001. Before we get into all of that nonsense... How's it going, lads? George Colgan, how are you? Marvellous. Yes, wonderful. Marvellous. Oh, well, well uh, hang on. No, I've got to be more upbeat. Yeah, I've got to be more upbeat. Yeah, marvellous. 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 <laughs> George, it sounds, like, it sounds like somebody's got a gun to your head and they're making you say that. <laughs> oh, I'm all right. Come on. What am I supposed to say? That's true. That's true. Chris, how are you? Are you okay? I'm very tired, but I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah. Chris, were you at the game tonight? I was at the game, yes. I've just got you back were. from St. James's Park about half an Good, ago. good. And the first thing I want to ask you, Chris, which is something I've been meaning to find out the answer to for a while, did Steve Bruce allow you to ask him any questions this evening? We were allowed to ask questions this evening, yes. Um, right. We were not in the the written media, we're not in the in the pre-match press conference, which is um, certainly, I mean, one of our colleagues said that in the 20 years he's covered Newcastle, he's never known a section where, a, a pre-match press conference where... The written media haven't been able to ask questions and, and have a separate section, but that was so that was denied before the game. But but yes, after the game, Steve Bruce did take uh, a few questions from the written media. Some of his answers were a little bit short, but he but he did answer the questions. And um, I asked him about whether, uh, in terms of the idea of playing higher, which clearly Newcastle did tonight. I basically mm. said to him, did it just take a bit of time? Because first half they seemed to really struggle. Do you think the players understood a little bit more what you wanted second half? And he didn't really he. he Sort of gave a similar answer to give another bits. He talked about Alan Sat Maximum being yeah. back, being a positive, uh, making a difference. But what sort of mood is uh, he in, Chris? He, he still looked pretty deflated. But I mean, his team is just—it's it's eleven games that I win. He, he wasn't—he wasn't sort of triumphant. He, he he did big up the positives, but it wasn't as I think some people are getting annoyed on social media. He wasn't—I I didn't find him to be sort of uh, trying to trying to make out as if as if suddenly everything's all right. He was—he was saying that he thought Newcastle deserved to win. I think some people would maybe argue against it. I personally thought that they deserved at least a point. Um, I did think they deserved mm. at least a point, but um, that was on the basis of most of the second half, whereas first half, certainly first half an hour, they really struggled. So it was a, it, it, as I say, it's a strange game because that Newcastle need a win. Rather than it's eleven games that win no competitions, I desperately needed a victory. Yet it's the first time I've come from the end of a game and suddenly thought, actually, I enjoyed parts of that match for a long while. I enjoy I enjoyed watching Newcastle in parts of the game, which I haven't in a long, long while. Yeah, I, I, there were there were some positive aspects of the game, but I, I mean, ultimately, the result is the wrong result, isn't it? We've we've lost again, um, and if we have a twenty minute bright spell where we we look like a team who can who can play football, that's lovely. But it needs to be for for a full game, and and it's not good enough as far as I'm concerned. It needs to be more than that. Yeah, I mean, we were just saying before we started there, it's like that strange dynamic where sort of, you know, a couple of months ago, two, three months ago, we were all sort of saying, okay, fine, Newcastle are getting the odd result. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, come on, Steve, where's the plan? Where's, what you know, what's the big idea here? Where's the work in progress? What's the, you know, what's, what, what is it you're trying to do? And we were having, you know, that was one of the sort of big debates around the team. And now having sort of seen half an hour of sort of, uh, you know, okay, football and aggression. It's like, no, no, that doesn't matter. We just need a result, for God's sake. It's sort of that that yeah. whole that whole story has been um, sort of shifted 100, 180 degrees. I mean, yes, I felt a modicum of adrenaline in the second half, I have to say, when I watched the team. And it was like, oh, okay, they're, they're pushing and they're high up the pitch and, they're, and it was almost exciting. But it was laced with that thought that, well, where was this in the first half? You know, where has this been over 10, yeah. you know, 10, 11 games? We saw it, you know, we thought Liverpool sort of provided a blueprint for how how you can be defensive and still play and still, you know, still get in the opponent's faces and still have a go and be aggressive. And, you know, things that really are, it's bare minimum stuff, let's be honest, this kind of thing. It's, it's basics, isn't it? Been there. It's basics, yeah. And it's just not been there. So, yeah, yeah. on the one hand, you see the last half hour of that match and think, okay, well, that was a lot better. But where's where's the three points? You know, where's the three yeah. points? 
The the first goal was 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 all our own doing again. We've conceded possession. Jacob Murphy in the halfway line losing the ball and and then six, five or six quick passes from Leeds and the balls in the net. And you're looking around thinking, well, where was the reaction? Why was the nobody tracking back? Where was the attempt to get out and close the ball down? Fabian Shea basically was looked like an estate agent showing somebody around a lovely property as uh, as Bamford picked the ball up in front of him. He just kind of put his arm out and went, there you go, there's the lounge, there's the uh, penalty area there, there's the goal. Uh, help yourself. And, uh, and, and, and Leeds took the lead. And then the goal in the second half as well. I mean, again, Newcastle are wide open. They've got Isaac Hayden playing... Uh, as a makeshift right back, bless the lad, and uh, and you know he he gets caught under the ball and 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 leads go two one up, and then it wasn't until then that we saw a reaction from Newcastle, was it, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, and as you say, the two goals that conceded were very very sloppy, and that that's what's so frustrating because um, Leeds certainly second half of that I thought Leeds were poor. Leeds started retreating. I mean, first half the issue was that they just let Cal- Calvin Phillips runs games for Leeds, and we've we've known that. And first does, half yeah. he was given so much space, and I thought Newcastle's midfield struggled. Actually, second half I thought it was the best I've seen Jeff Hendrick play probably since the opening game of the season when he played well against West Ham. I thought yeah. he was very good second half. And Newcastle, I don't know how much it came through on the TV, but they were visibly higher at the pitch. I mean, they tried to play oh, yeah, that way first see. half. They were just very very sloppy with the ball on the rare occasions. Yeah. I got it. But second half, the 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 centre backs were so wide apart as well. I mean, there was there was the, the game really opened up for about ten minutes at, in, into the second half when basically Leeds Newcastle scored and then Leeds scored. And um, I actually I do think Newcastle were unlucky, and I, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make this a more of a positive, even than it was, but I just relatively compared to what we've seen recently, it was a lot, lot better. And it, ultimately, what they need is a victory. I, I, I accept that and they need points, but if we, we've wanted them to play better, and, and for, for, for 30, 40 minutes, they were very, very poor. But then I do think that second half, they had more than enough territory and sort of opportunities really so that they could and should have at least got a point from the game maybe wouldn't the reality is they didn't and what they actually need now is points but I I, I was more encouraged by that now that'll probably annoy a lot of people out there but where Steve Bruce said he was encouraged at the weekend and I didn't think there was anything to be encouraged about I do think there was signs of encouragement tonight uh, for all of that huffing and puffing in the second half, though, we barely laid, we still barely laid a glove on Leeds. You know, we we got the goal, uh, which was beautifully worked. Uh, I get I get what you're saying about it being a being a, a more uh, a more attacking and more dynamic second half, which it was. But Leeds don't defend anyway, and we already knew this. So if if that's what you need to do against Leeds, why not do it from the start? Why wait until you're two one down before you suddenly? you know, get a rocket up your arse and start thinking about put, playing the ball forwards. And I mean, obviously it did, it, it coincided with some maximum coming on and an armor on carrying the ball forwards the way they have done in the past. And we haven't seen enough of that this season, but it, it, it's just fallen short, isn't it? It just falls short every time. No. And if you, if you can see goals like that, you can't win games. I mean, that's just, you know, that is, you know, the, the amount of space for the second, second goal was ugh, just, ugh. God, I mean, horrible, both goals though. Both goals were were absolutely horrible. And no, totally, you're right. Well, I mean, you, you, you're both right in different ways, and I'm I'm definitely incredibly right in whatever I say next, even though I haven't decided what that is yet. <laughs> Which is always the case, George. But I mean, you know, so it's it, it's that it is that thing. If that if that was a blueprint, great, excellent. I think Newcastle would be okay this season. But whenever we've seen something that's potentially a blueprint it hasn't lasted it hasn't lasted beyond 10 minutes it hasn't lasted for a match and it certainly hasn't lasted for more than one match in a row so that has been the problem that's been the problem and why didn't they start like that why didn't they start with that aggression why didn't they start with that attitude why were they so passive why did they let Leeds dictate the tempo how come in the first half they had something like you know 22 percent possession at one point in the first half I've sort of come away from it feeling marginally better about life because I've seen Newcastle have a go. But that is really an indication of how bad things are, that that is giving me cause for any pleasure whatsoever because it is bare, as I said, it's bare minimum stuff. They should be going out with that level of aggression and uh, commitment and competitiveness and fight. And it it was like suddenly someone flicked a switch um, in the second half, and it was like, oh my God, we're in trouble, and and you know we have to get out of this, and it's like hallelujah. So I suppose, you know, maybe <laughs> that's the thing that we're sort of clinging on to that there's been this sort of belated yeah. realization. In my heart, I have to say though that 
you know, they're going to Everton this weekend, and my yeah. expectation is that it'll go back to how it was before. And that is my fear. You know, that is absolutely my fear. That's but the worry, isn't it? We're clinging. It's like we're clinging onto a life, you know, onto a onto a life raft. Yeah, 20 minutes life raft. The first 35, 40 minutes were 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 up there, or should I say down there, with some of the worst football I've seen us play this season. And there was a stat that popped up on the screen after 20 minutes, which said we had completed 23 passes in the first 20 minutes of football to Leeds as, I think it was something like 106. It was absolutely appalling, that first 30 minutes of the game. And the amount of times that the ball was given away by the midfield and by the defence trying to play the ball forwards, they were incredibly profligate, Chris, weren't they? And I know you love a stat. So the, the, the passing is just absolutely horrible at the minute. It was, and that was the problem at Leeds away. I remember writing after that game about how the, the passing accuracy was terrible, and, and it was it was again tonight. And I have to be honest, the first 20 minutes, I was still trying to work out what the formation was, because <laughs> yeah. the, 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 when yeah, the game started, it looked like a five, but then then Murphy was going forward at points and then he was coming back and and then Hayden was at, was actually at right back and I still can't quite work that out. I mean, they've got a right back who's unable to play for quote-unquote visa issues according to Steve Bruce with DeAndre Yedlin, which you understand is, is work permit uh, has run out and it hasn't been renewed in time and then Emil Kraft's on the bench. Yeah, they, so they had two right on. backs on the bench as well. Yeah, I mean, Mankio, Bruce said, I mean, he's, he's still having after effects from COVID, I think, in terms of fatigue so he wasn't, I could understand why he didn't but he did actually have another right back and craft on the bench and yet Hayden is, is, is playing at right back which I, f- I found strange and it just seemed like the team took a while to know exactly what they were going to do because it was only two changes from the weekend but the formation had changed um, and then so Fraser was on and I thought he was quiet for parts in, in the first half and took a little bit of time to get in the game Callum Wilson looked frustrated and I mean again I suppose that's another concern for me tonight is as well as Newcastle played in, in for those twenty minute period in the second half, or how I think I actually thought it was a little bit longer than that, but but it's, let's just say it was for twenty minutes. Callum Wilson still only had one shot, and it was a blocked shot. So Callum Wilson's still yeah. not getting opportunities. He it was a brilliant layoff, I thought, for Almiron's goal. I thought it was a well worked goal. That they actually that showed what Newcastle can do because they they pressed higher up the pitch. Lascelles did well to win it. Shelby then a good ball into Wilson, and it was such a clever little layoff. And and, uh, and Almiron finished it. I mean, bless him, he telegraphed it completely, and the keeper got oh, a good. Yeah. To it, and I thought he was going to miss it actually, but uh, yeah. but uh, but that was that showed what what I think this team is capable of, and I haven't liked this narrative over the last few weeks that that this squad isn't good enough, that the players aren't good enough. I don't buy that. I don't buy this. Is I I I do I think that they lack quality in certain areas, and yes, they they definitely do, and I don't think it's a definitely a top half squad, but I certainly think it's better than it's been. I think it should be comfortably mid table. Uh, and they should be scoring a lot more goals, and they have had injuries, and they've had COVID, and they've had a lot of issues. But I don't buy this idea that the players aren't aren't good enough. I do think they are more capable, and we saw a glimpse of it there. But what we need to see, as George said, is it is over a sustained period, and they actually just need to start winning games now. Absolutely, the next three games as well are looking particularly tricky. We've got Everton in there, Crystal Palace as well. George, what I mean, what do you see happening over the next few weeks? In fact, not just the next the next three, but the next six look really tough. Uh, and also Fulham playing West Brom and playing Brighton, they could pick up points quite easily. We could start getting sucked in, couldn't we? Well, we're already sucked in. I mean, it's, yeah. it's I mean, at the moment, I don't see anything good happening. But I've felt like that for fifty years. <laughs> That's a very That's good short point. And sweet. No, that I mean, is short and sweet. Yeah, I, I can't see. I mean, the, the, it's. I'm, I'm going to repeat myself, and I don't want to. You know, if if it's if it's twenty minutes, the 20, 30 minutes that we saw tonight, then okay, fine. I would I would have faith that things can change, but unfortunately what you know the history of this season shows is that it won't last. So that's my fear, and Everton are a very very good team, and so you know. What happens there? Does confidence get you know? Does confidence get another hit? Can they do what they did tonight? I don't have you know. I don't have. I don't have faith. I have to say, um, and it's it's a dreadful. This is a full run of form. I mean, you just have to hope that that spark that there was there can carry them through a bit. But I don't have any confidence in that. 
No, I don't think any of us do at the minute. Well, we're going to move on, chaps. Um, before we do that, let me quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic right now for three ninety nine a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled Newcastle United coverage in 2021, as well as all the ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And coming up in a bit, we're going to revisit the... Uh, Great Newcastle United pub quiz, which I will stress again, was recorded well in time before the game. Uh, if the mood is ever so slightly different during that. Speak in a bit. So, it's been one year to the week uh, exactly since the Wall Street Journal broke a massive story in the world of Newcastle United. Uh, and the, uh, the news came out that Amanda Staveley was back. And she was uh, in cahoots. Is that the right word? Might not be, but never mind. In cahoots with uh, the Rubin brothers and the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. Uh, Chris and George have been in in amongst this story since the very start of it, and even before then as well, before it came out. Uh, and and this week they've uh, they've written a piece all about that particular story and where it is at the minute. George, what's the what's the the gen at the minute? What is going on with the takeover? Where are we at? Is there any movement? Well, there's the £305 million question, isn't it, Taylor? Um, Yes, and in terms of answering the big question, will it happen? We obviously can't answer that because uh, the process is in arbitration, as we know. That's the kind of latest and third stage of this takeover. And, you know, we have to just wait until... That is determined. I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that neither of us really wanted to write this piece, but that yeah. it felt like a it felt like a sort of milestone worth drawing attention to. It's been a very long and wearing year for everybody. I mean, in particular Newcastle fans, and it's it's kind of an arbitrary date because, yes, as you say, I mean the you know this this version of Amanda Staveley's um, bid to buy the club really stretches back till the to the summer before. You know, when when she thought um, there was a chance that they could get something done uh, even before Benitez left the club, that was obviously pie in the sky, and it wasn't until later that that autumn that Saudi Arabia became involved. Anyway, the sense I suppose is that there's an inching towards resolution because there sort of has to be, and yeah. the mood mu- music amongst the amongst the, the the buying side is optimistic. Although, as I repeat, <laughs> yeah time and time again in in the piece that's really not that's not a sign of anything because their kind of confidence and optimism has been there throughout and it's been misplaced I'm afraid to say but you know they are dealing directly with the club that's the way this works it's the club that are do, who are doing the arbitration um through their lawyers um with the Premier League and the moon music is is generally sort of positive about that there's also a sense that this just can't go on forever i mean what happens if there's a positive resolution to the arbitration, well, they think there's then a, a clear roadmap to, to get it done and that it could happen quite quickly. If it's not, would it be the end of it? Well, maybe not. There might be other legal avenues to go down, but really, truly, seriously, honestly, can this can this keep going on as it is? And then also, um, you know, the, obviously the backdrop now is of a team that is flailing and failing, as we, as we say in the piece. And so that has certainly sort of um, sharpened minds a bit. Yeah. Um, not that there's anything they can do about that. And for for the first time for a long time, this hasn't been a transfer window where they're actively talking about what they might do or targets or potential targets because there was just never a sense that they would be at, at the club um, you know, in time to make a difference. Whereas certainly in the summer, certainly the win- last winter, certainly previous windows, they've been working pretty furiously on the sort of on the hope that um, they may get in. So, I mean, that's one side of it. Chris, uh, you know, Chris can maybe sort of talk a little bit about about the other sides um, in this argument too. Yeah, so we, we looked at, at the buyers, as, as George said, and then we also looked at the sellers. Then there was is also a section in the piece on sort of the Premier League being maybe third parties, do you want to call it that side? And then also the fans' perspective. And I mean, from the buyer's point of view, what is has been clear and is clear from, from all sides is that, that Mike Ashley is a very willing seller, but he is also a very willing seller in terms of this specific deal that has yeah. 
always been other interest out there and over the past year there have been other potential interested parties that even the buyers say that the, the, some of whom that they may have become potentially aware of but no nobody's realistically or there's no realistic prospect as as far as most of the people in around the deal are concerned that a, another bid is going to be launched until there is a definitive outcome from uh, the the Saudi heavily financed bid and so Mike Ashley is the one who is leading uh, the arbitration proceedings. He has everything has to go through the uh, the selling club. So it's Newcastle United who are dealing with the Premier League. They've dealt with the Premier League throughout, and so it's Mike Ashley who has brought in the lawyers. Nick DeMarco obviously tweeted the other week saying that he was at uh, the Emirates when Newcastle played there in the FA Cup, and basically it, it's quite interesting because. From the selling point of view, we had uh, we've had two public statements from Newcastle United, both really kicking the Premier League, and yeah. a source at another Premier League club uh, has claimed that in meetings Newcastle have, have have been have shown a sort of similar tone and have almost been as disruptive as possible, um, and basically just try to make things difficult for Newcastle uh, for for the Premier League throughout. And obviously, we know that they Toys were the out only the club. Prom. Yeah, that sort of thing, and so that we know they were the only club who voted against the extension of the being uh, TV rights deal through to 2025, which for obvious <laughs> yeah. reasons, but also yeah. that it's extended beyond that and a sort of shift in tone, at least uh, according to to this high place source, another Premier League club. So, so clearly that there is a there is someone or that the club are in a in a position where the hierarchy wanted to have moved on by now. Mike Ashley certainly is begrudgingly still owner of the club, and so in his. Uh, from his perspective, there is mass frustration as well that he remains owner, and so that 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 is, I suppose, if you want to call that a positive, that there is still that view that he is trying to push this through. But obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen because that has been the case for certainly the past nine months since since it's been with the Premier League. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, George? I mean, the story's rumbled on for a, for for over a year now, um, and it's ran parallel to one of the most upside down, topsy turvy years of of our lifetimes. Definitely with with COVID and everything, it's it's good to know that when when everything is going to shit around you, there's always a Newcastle United takeover story to to latch on to, isn't it? Kind of comforting to have it there in the background. No. <laughs> There's a great quote. There's a great quote in the piece from, from from Alex Hurst, who's a friend of ours here, of course, who's come on the podcast lots of times, editor of True Faith, but also the former yes. chair of the of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, who obviously played a key role uh, last summer in terms of ramping up political pressure on the Premier League. And anyway, his phrase for what the last year has been is a repeated daily head fuck. And yeah. Can't it's, argue with that. Di- it's it's difficult to it's really difficult to argue with that. It has been. I mean, obviously in the in the uh kind of heat of it last spring and summer it, it really was like that. And now it's kind of just part of the general background noise at the club. It's just that sense of sort of unhappiness and dissatisfaction and unfulfillment and annoyance and frustration, all those things that we that we feel about the club and the team at the minute, that this thing is still lingering on, hasn't been resolved, offered something to Newcastle. And again, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not kind of belittling all the um, important sort of human rights arguments that that went on at the same time, but offered something different, a new, an investment, and a chance to to make the club, um, you, you know, sort of fulfil the potential that it always has yeah. always had, and it's 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 sort of added, it's added to that. There is also a sense that it has affected, it has affected the club because I think you know in a bit that kind of Chris has. Chris has written really nicely in this piece. It's it's that sense that it's a the club's a ghost ship. That there is a feeling that okay, well, it's almost like an excuse now for the club to behave in the way it behaves, and and really worse. I mean, what strategic long term decisions can you take as a club? Well, yeah, exactly. If you've got this lingering on, and you know that's the that's the side of it that you don't sort of see on a day to day basis but if you're Mike Ashley and you're you know you even half think that this might get resolved well you're not going to invest you're not going to invest meaningfully you're not going to look at the infrastructure I mean I don't think there was any there's been any chance of that happening anyway but now there's an inbuilt excuse for for inertia and we're certainly seeing that you know on the pitch all of this season has been like a hangover yeah I was saying to somebody on Twitter the other day that that Steve Bruce almost feels like a caretaker manager at the minute 
Um, and I, it, it's almost like he's just waiting. It's it's like a waiting game now to see what what happens, and that's exactly how the club feels. I, I've never known a, a manager be a permanent manager of a club and and feel like he's just kind of a custodian waiting to hand it on to somebody else. Yeah, and I mean that 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 has been the sort of impression that's been given by at least some people in and around the club as well and that, that, that that's mm. sort of how it, it can feel and I'm not saying that's a universal view and others would contest that but but certainly when you look at it from that perspective it it, it, it does feel like that it is it is as if now if, if a takeover happened would Steve Bruce remain as manager given the perilous situation that Newcastle seemed to be finding themselves in in the Premier League table you'd have to doubt whether he would remain in position it was different when uh, it was at the height of things either side of sort of project restart and I think he, he probably yeah. would have been given time at that point there was nobody lined up and no immediate rush to change but now it just feels uh, yeah as if and, and, and in that sense that the job has become very difficult for him and I I know that that the football's been awful for, for certainly for, for the last few weeks, if not longer, and the results really aren't acceptable. But he has been in a difficult position. I'm not saying that that excuses the results and 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 things that have happened. But managing the club at the moment cannot be easy at all in that sense because it, the transfer market is affected by this. Contract situations are affected by this. Um, I mean, we have the, the the sort of DeAndre Edlund situation at the moment, where he is unavailable to play because his his visa has expired and his new one isn't his work permit isn't ready. So you have all these things where it just feels like the club is not grinding to a halt, but is just going from day to day almost. And as I say, people at the club may contest that, but it's difficult to to see otherwise because long term decisions are being paused. I mean, we did there was a piece about a week ago where it was all club writers wrote about. 300 words on what, what each club was looking to do with new post-Brexit rules and basically <laughs> other clubs are planning long term for this whereas Newcastle United aren't necessarily they have made changes and they are looking to make changes but they can't plan for say feeder clubs or making relationships with clubs in Europe as some other clubs are because they don't know if they're going to be owners and so really that isn't their priority right now and that is the concern and I think that that was what I thought that both uh, Ian Mearns, the MP for Gate, said, and Alex Hurst, who we spoke to, that, that the key point they made, and I think is, is really important, is that over the last few months, the takeover almost has become this excuse to look towards, whereas actually the here and now at Newcastle United is alarming, and, mm-hmm. and the here and now That's needs it. to be focused on. And if the takeover happens, then great at some stage, and then that's the transition everyone needs. But it isn't happening right now, and right now it is the current owner who has to deal with everything that's going on. He is the one who has to make the decisions which are going to steer the immediate and, and medium-term future of this football club. The club does feel like it's kind of just drifting rudderless at the minute, doesn't it? it there's no, there's no direction, and there's no. It feels like there's very, very little leadership there. I mean, it's, it's felt like that for a few years now. To me, I don't think the takeovers necessarily uh, the only, the only reason why that's been happening, but. Is there any kind of optimism on the horizon here? If the takeover doesn't go through, for instance, if something happens with the Premier League where it, the the whole thing gets uh, kicked into the long grass, what the hell do Newcastle United do from there? What is the plan going forward and is there a plan? Well, so the interesting thing, talking to people generally, but also talking to the buyers, talking to prospective buyers, you know, there is a sense that there are other people around and that at the moment they're, you know, they're probably being put off by the fact that you've got one of the richest sovereign wealth funds in the world, if not the richest, I don't, you know, kind of trying to buy the club because there's a, you know, there's a knowledge that they can't directly compete. And there's also a feeling that Ashley himself, you know, he knows that this is a good deal, it's a good price. He'll get it all in one go. You know, there's no, he doesn't have to worry about things like that. And he also has an interest, we're told, in sort of establishing links with other parts of his business, with Saudi Arabia or, or PIF. And, you know, that that's something that's, that's uh, you know, a motivating factor for him. However, what, what PIF has, have also done is probably showcase Newcastle to a certain extent. It's like, mm. if they're interested, okay, well, that's interesting. Maybe we could get interested. And so, that, you know, there's, there, there is a sense that there are other potential serious bidders around the place who would come forward, but it probably won't happen until there's a resolution, definitive resolution, one way or the, or the other with this one. The other kind of interesting sort of side effect or dynamic that's happening, of course, is what's happening on the pitch. And previously there's been, as I said before, there's been a hope that they might get in before a certain window or, you know, in a summer so they can start shaping things straight away. Now, the question that kind of often gets asked is, does that put them off? And, you know, is there a chance of them walking away? I mean, that's in, in some ways that's, 
completely the wrong term because we know that they've officially walked away, uh, walked away from the owners and directors test already. But the answer to that is no. There's no. I mean, there's no sense that the position now would put them off or stop stop the deal from happening. It's in place. It's there. It's ready to go. I mean, relegation. If it happened on their watch, would be seen as a pain in the ass. But that they would, you know, do everything they could to try and get the club back up at the first attempt. So. In some ways, that's reassuring. It's also irrelevant yeah. at the moment. The other side of it, though, what happens if the club gets relegated and the takeover still hasn't gone through? That's something that gets asked a lot. Well, yeah. I'm told, again, I mean, this isn't definitive, I'm told again that, yes, there would still be an interest that Newcastle is seen as the right club, but the price would be different. And what what Mike Ashley would then think about that is, well, we don't know for certain, but, you know, that... That doesn't feel very positive. And in any case, probably the bigger picture is that if the takeover has not been resolved by the end of the season, it's not going to get resolved. But yes, there is there is certainly concern about the league position because they want you know, people coming into the club want to want to come into a Premier League club. There's a lot of moving parts, isn't there, Chris? It's not exactly straightforward. I mean, who, who, you wouldn't expect it to be with Newcastle, though, would you? No, and as we've said many times, it's become the sort of Newcastle United takeover in the in the very sense that this is the most Newcastle United thing anyway. But that that's almost <laughs> yeah. the the point in the way that we the reason one of the reasons we've laid the piece out as we have. George and I were chatting about it over the last couple of weeks, and. In terms of if it had just been all one article without different sections showing, so the buyers, the sellers, the, the Premier League fans, there are just so many sort of uh, contradictions or disagreements within it in terms of where people believe this is or where it could go next or because there, there are so yeah. many different competing agendas and, and, and different people speaking and, and things like that, that it it is still it's been a very very difficult story to cover and it's been the, the most difficult story i think i've ever i've ever covered and most takeover stories are but this one particularly given everything that's been involved and so we've just tried to to lay out the information we've been given from various different sides and said this is this is what everyone is saying and then we're not saying definitively either way this means the takeover will or won't happen or will happen at this point or whenever this is just the information best we have it how people in and around it, see it, and yes, it remains unfortunately a confusing picture. And we tried, we have, we have tried to strip, strip the emotion out of it as much as we can. I mean, maybe emotion is not the right word, but we've tried to strip the spikiness out of it. That's not useful, I don't think, and I think it's been part of the problem. So we've, but we've, we've also kind of categorically said all the way through, this is what one side is saying. And it isn't necessarily what the other side are saying. We know what's been happening in the Middle East in recent weeks. So that has been a kind of the start of rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And there's certainly been a lot of talk about piracy uh, issue being being sorted out. I mean, again, that's not something that can happen overnight, though. But there is a movement towards positivity there. And so... Does that play a role in the takeover? Well, yeah, it does because at the moment, you know, the, the Premier League's argument has always been that it's their very own product that is being pirated here. And so how can you have the owner of a share in your business effectively being conducting and piracy and all that thing so it's it's a it's a it's it's a very complicated subject that that has inched towards positivity however we don't know the ins and outs of the arbitration case that is a thoroughly yeah. confidential process and all sides are or both sides are, are not leaking they're not talking about that and in any case you know um we don't we don't know for certain until there's a until there's a judgment. And it, as always with this takeover story, is a case of sitting, waiting, and see, isn't it? It's been a year now in the making, uh, longer if you've uh, if you've uh, been involved in the story from before that, like George and Chris have. And we have ran the full gamut of emotions. I know you were saying there you've taken emotion out of this, but from a fan's point of view, the emotions at the start for me was was kind of well, oh, not this again. You know, come on, I've, we've had enough of this nonsense now. Let's just get on with things. To then being actually really quite excited about the whole thing to then being on the edge of uh explosion uh 
uh, with with excitement of what could potentially come in the future uh, to then being a little bit pissed off and fed up with the whole thing and wishing it would go away and leave us alone <laughs> to then wondering what's going on with it then anger then denial <laughs> you know we've gone through the whole thing haven't we from start to finish and we're at a point now where we're it feels like the end game it feels like it's coming to a head we're going to just have to wait and see and get past this arbitration point uh, and then see what comes of it so still to come we'll be returning to the great Newcastle United pub quiz and we'll be talking about our memories of games past Leeds United at Elland Road back in 2001 before that this are you stuck at home yes bored of Netflix bored of everything and have you realised there's a reason people only play Scrabble once a year yeah shit <laughs> Well, The Athletic is coming to your rescue with the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK. We'll be putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find our most knowledgeable subscriber and, of course, to raise money for a very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK hubs fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. And we'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for a great cause. We'll be running a quiz for every team we cover, plus one each for the Bundesliga, Serie A and La Liga. The winners of each quiz will go through to our grand final at the end of March, uh, where there is a very nice £1,000 up for grabs, and we will match this with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK. £1,000, George, imagine what you could do with that. The quizzes will be hosted by the correspondent for that club or league. Oh, lads, are you going to be hosting one of these? I think that's the idea, yeah. Oh, lovely stuff. Uh, and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. Sign up for a free 30-day trial with The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash PCUK. Well, ladies and gentlemen, roll up, gather around, pull up a chair, uh, get yourself a pint from the bar. Uh, it's time for the great Newcastle United pub quiz this week, hosted by your friend and mine, Mr. Chris Waffles Waff. Chris, take it away. Yes, it's my turn. My turn, lads. This is this is this is when the tide begins to turn, and I, st- well, oh, I will be on, at least two behind someone. What? Yes, but it, the tide can't turn because you're not taking part in the quiz. So therefore, the you're... tide can only go further away from you, Chris. Yeah, I mean it's actually the <laughs> hey, opposite. This is my quiz. That. Stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> That's one of the rules. Right. Now, which pub Picture are we doing scene. this quiz in this Picture week? Picture the Chris? scene. Right. We are sat on the terrace at the back of the Bridge Tavern. Enjoying Ooh. delicious pints of tavern ale and listening to the kitty wakes underneath the time bridge. Mm. George has oh, had yes. three pints. He's finished moaning about everything possible and he's fallen asleep in the corner. Taylor has raced ahead onto his six pint and is standing on the table singing the chorus to Big River by Jimmy Neal on a loop. Sounds about whilst right. I'm eating my own body weight in pork scratchings <laughs> and scotch <laughs> eggs. <laughs> and now it's quiz time. Mm. Right. Lovely. Round can one. We not, can we, no, 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 no. Can we not just mark? Can we not just revel in that scene for a little bit? Yeah, I was enjoying that particular part. Oh, fantasy. it was lovely. Uh, the amount of people. Could he wait? Could he wait? Could he wait? I love that bit. That, we, that, that part of the city is one of my favourite bits of the city where you've got the bridge. It's a, right above you. You've got this extraordinary Georgian architecture around you. And then you've got this massive sort of monstrosity, beautiful monstrosity. Don't, don't say that, about No, no, no. It's a beautiful monstrosity above you. And it's like old and new well it's not new anymore is it but you know it's that sort of incredible bit of um iconic but really weird if you take a step back and look at that sort of architecture next to each other oh it's gorgeous it's a great pub that and they do they do good sloppy sunday dinners as well uh tavernail is beautiful uh oh let's go back there yeah i like this I feel confident. Is, that, now. is this going to be our our first pint meet up after lockdown? We're going to get ourselves up there. Certainly going to be high on the queue. Days. I think we're just well, going to go everywhere. Aren't we? We're just going to go around. Free every trade. Uh, free, yeah, we, yeah. Well, let's start. Pub crawl. Mm. Right, yes. come on, and Chris. I'm right. sure we're all desperate to get into right. this quiz round one. Loosely related to the on this day round January 26th, I want to give a shout out to NUFC.com for being wonderful anyway, but also for providing the inspiration Ugh. for this sort of. But, I mean, it's, it's very loosely based. But first, I need to test my dinger. Actually, that's... Not, uh, what? But, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. You realise how that sounds you do that on your own podcast? On your own time, Chris. <laughs> Hello. What? This is I'm a not, different I, podcast to the one I joined, honestly. I've still got I'm my sure. dinger. Well, yes, but you, you're posh and you have one, though. So my, my, my <laughs> dinger is a, is a Brink Burn Street Brewery pint glass and a teaspoon. 
Have you smashed it? You've just smashed it, haven't you? <laughs> Ladies uh, and gentlemen, Chris Woff on percussion. <laughs> Jesus. So there we go. Right, question one. The first question for Taylor. Right. Oh, Jesus. How are they? Florian Torvan, the former Newcastle United winger, was born on January the 26th, 1993. Yep. He is perhaps most famous for wearing a tuxedo as a match suit when turning up at St. James's Park. He yes. followed another Newcastle player who had mistakenly done so previously. Who was the first player to inadvertently sport James Bond-esque tails? Um, was it Chancellor Mbemba? It was Chancellor Mbemba. Uh, I, was, I would have said that, yeah. Well and he bought it from cool. Next, apparently. Here is a quote they gave to the Daily Mirror. Every player needs to look smart before the game, we were told. So I bought the first suit I saw, and it was the one I wanted to wear. So, yeah. Brilliant. Beautiful. So, Chancellor Mbemba is actually... Is actually the new Bond he's taken over from from Daniel Craig in the next Bond film. Congratulations on winning this week's quiz, Taylor. No problem, George. Thank you. Right, George, your first question. In 1996, Fastino Aspria landed on Tyneside wearing a fur coat to be greeted yes. by a snow shower. He returned to Italy before eventually signing almost a fortnight later. But in 2004, he launched his own brand of a specific and, let's say, useful item called Tino's, which he has made free during the coronavirus pandemic. What are they? Well, it must be condom, surely. Correct. <laughs> Correct. One on. I haven't got anything to ding. One on. Right. Glass is still intact, has not yet broken, but there are oh, still. God. So hopefully you don't get any more questions right because then I won't have to hit it again. Right. So round two the song recital round. Answers must be given in lyrical form, not just spoken word. Oh come on, Chris! What are yes. you doing? What are you doing? This this is this isn't this a is quiz. vengeance. This is vengeance. It is. It's vengeance. It is. It's so petty. You're such a small right. petty and I'll man. Fli- I flipped it around, so George is going to answer the first question. On this one, then Taylor. All oh, right. Thanks so, for giving so a music is... round to when we've got a professional mu- musician here. Oh, that's quite <laughs> all right. Right. George, The Blade and Races was written in the 19th century by Geordie Ridley. There is a version which is cited at St. James's Park, but I want you to give me the next line from the original version after I list a line here, and I want you to sing it back to me. So the line I'm going to give you is, the lassies lost their crinolines off and the veils that hid their faces. Gone along the Scotswood Road to see the blading races. Nope. Taylor, Can I, do you know it? I know this. It's, um, I've got two black eyes and a broken nose gone to blading races. Ugh. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Correct. What is that? George, do I get an extra point? In terms of his, no, no, you don't get an extra point. Oh. No, no. I'm not that generous. George, you need, a, you need to look back at the blading races and learn it. I'm disappointed in you. But, you need um, to do something as well. <laughs> Right, Taylor, your second question. Fog on the Tyne, Lindisfarne's classic, oh, was immortalised by Paul on. Gascoigne in the original 1970 Come on, he got it for Christmas! Please give me the next line of the song after Could a oh. copper catch a crooked coffin maker? Could a copper comprehend? Uh, that, uh, that a crooked coffin maker is just an undertaker who undertakes to be a friend. Absolute. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Absolute shit heap. Suck on that, Corgan. <laughs> two on after after two rounds here. Round three, the Alvidasian pet round, just because <laughs> it's the best series ever. <laughs> right, it is loosely based on football as well. Right, first question on this round is for Taylor. In series okay. three, uh, series one, sorry, series one, episode three, Oz and Dennis tra- travel from Dusseldorf to Belgium to watch Sunderland. Boo in European action, which I suppose is a novelty in itself. But anyway, Oz gets so drunk he ends up flying back to England. But who was Sunderland playing? Who was Sunderland oh. playing? Oh, Jesus Christ. That's impossible. Did they go, where did they go? Belgium? I went to Belgium, yes. Oh, okay. It's not impossible. Um, big Belgium teams. Um, not, I don't, not Antwerp. Standard, Standard Liège? Correct. Correct. Oh, oh, what a saleable lead now. Did George know the answer to that one? I would have I'd have guessed Lee. That was gonna be my guess, but it would have a total guess as well. Yeah. That was yeah, a total guess, I, George, to be fair. That was I couldn't really think of any other Belgian football. It will take me about ten minutes to think of more than one. Off the Belgian top of me dome. Thing. Anyway, even though you can't win, George, let, let's do your final question. 
In the final episode of Series 1, Oz is hospitalised after a bar fight in a Dusseldorf Altbier bar. Oz is considering staying in Germany, but spots a Newcastle United-related headline on the back of the newspaper, which convinces him to return. Who had just signed for the club, as they did in real life? I was thinking the Likely Lads as well. What was the what's the famous Newcastle the the, the Likely Lads one where they say? Oh no, it's England, wasn't it? It was yeah, England score, W. It was England W, and it turns out to be England washed out. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I can't even think when the first series was made. If I could, if I if I could think, it must be eighties. Mirandinha. Uh, uh, Taylor. Oh God, I I honestly don't know. I don't know, Chris. Um, Peter Beardsley. Oh <laughs> no. no, Kevin Keegan, famous. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. um, that Earlier. scene in the in the bar in Dusseldorf, uh, where he gets in the fight. I've been in that bar in Dusseldorf so I, yeah. where they filmed that. Wonderful. It's wonderful. In place. the Uriga bar. I was going to say Kevin Keegan as well, but I thought it was too late. I thought it was too late yeah, for that. I, I was thinking okay. late. Anyway, late I did have a tiebreaker, which we will quickly do anyway. Come um, on, in. Which is more contemporary. So Newcastle have had the lowest share of possession in the Premier League this season, averaging just 37.7% across 19 matches. So this is pre-Leeds. Their lowest average share in a single game was against Manchester City on Boxing Day. What percentage possession did they have that day? The closest wins. George can go first because he lost. It's actually it's an advantage to go second, but twenty-two percent, twenty-four percent. Taylor wins again, twenty-four point nine four percent, slightly higher than I actually thought, but um, but yes. So Taylor has, has thrashed George there, um, which is what was know, the final score there, Chris? Uh, the final score was three-one, and then you also won the tiebreaker round as well. So I think you need. I mean, a, Need all your game, Colton. It's just not. No, no. I, I, I know that I'm going to lose this at the final tally. I know that I'm, I'm going to lose this. But, um, but Chris has also set a bit of a precedent here. I mean, I think in in previous weeks, I don't think it's like giving the game away. But in pre, like last week, for example, I told you it's like okay, I'm going to do one section on this, one section on that, one section on that. Not so that you could cheat, but just to give you, you know, mentally, just give you a little bit of a heads up, get you prepared. Chris has done nothing this week. Nothing. He is a bitter and twisted man who um, who who wants to humiliate his uh, colleagues, which in my case this week he has definitely done. But all I'm telling you, Chris, the gloves are off. <laughs> well, I mean, I am bitter, but I also I also finished the quiz one minute before this, so I hadn't actually written it until <laughs> the Gloves are off. The important off. thing here is that I now uh, am in the lead with two wins. George has one, and Chris... You have big fat zero. It goes back to me next week to be quiz master. Uh, and you have the chance, Chris, to get level with George. I intend to. And believe me, this quiz is going to make you shit yourself with fear. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Let's move on. So, Chris, you uh, you recently wrote a, a piece about Jamie Sterry and about his career and uh, mental health as well. Uh, and, and I believe we've got a little clip from that, haven't we? And I went in there thinking I had other options to go to a different club. And so, now I'll go back here. I really enjoyed it. Played well every game. Then I went there and I didn't play. And I was going, like, like mental health as well. I was really, really struggling. It was obviously a build-up of everything, I think. But, no, I was really, really struggling, so... That's why the deal got cut short anyway, because I had to come back. Like some days, like most days, actually, I'd get up. Well, get up, not want to like be because I couldn't sleep. Go to training, come back and go to bed. Then that was it. Oh, that like was like a really, really low point in my life, really. Which after that, then I worked with like the doctor at Newcastle, which was really, really good. No one knows us, so I'm actually opening up to it. So. Spoke to doctor and I had some like sessions with someone which really helped us like medically. Like now, it, you have some days now which are good and bad. But I work with like a football mindset, which is like a, a mind coach now. So I speak to him most days and obviously like a Zoom call every week, which is good. But when I was like two, yeah, I was really struggling like that, and I don't even think they knew because like we didn't really say anything because it's quite private. I didn't really want anyone to know in case it jeopardised my career. But then after that, a lot of players were coming out speaking about it, which, and right now is, 
everyone's talking about, which is really, really good. Yeah, so that was that was. I spoke to 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 Jamie Sterry about a week and a half ago. I it's an interview I'd wanted to do for a while, not necessarily well, not for this reason because I, as he says there, I didn't know that he he had struggled with mental health problems at Crew, but I'd, I I always thought he was he was a good player when I saw him. He obviously left Newcastle last summer and he ended up going all the way down to to play for South Shields. At the, at, so he went from the Premier League to the seventh tier. He's now with Hartlepool in the uh, in the Conference National League and is, is sort of starting to rebuild his career there. But but I was always fascinated because he'd gone to Crew twice on loan. The first time he'd played a reasonable amount of times. And what he's talking about there is the second time that he went to Crew and he only played once and he came back and there was, a, there was a, it was shrouded in mystery really at the time why he'd come back and nobody could really understand it. And it turns out that he'd actually been suffering from, from mental health problems, which a lot of his teammates didn't know about. I've had a lot of messages from people in and around the club at the time who didn't know any of the, he was going through any of this. He didn't tell his teammates. Um, but basically, he just one day he went into to, to, for breakfast at Crew. said he, he was sitting in the canteen and thought he was just going to burst into tears. So he walked out, got in the car and just drove back to Newcastle and went and saw the doctor and, and, and started to get help. And it was just, I didn't know the interview was going to go in this direction, but it was just such a brave thing for him to open up on this and the reason he said he wanted to open up was because he knows that other people both in football and elsewhere will be suffering in a similar sort of way and that as soon as he got help he started to feel better and he still has challenges now with it but he just wanted to get that message across to sort of look after yourself mental health wise and try and get help if you need to because uh, you need, if you open up to someone he said that, that it really helped him and I just thought it was really really brave of him. It is really brave, and, and and it's a it's a really important topic at the minute, isn't it? I know I know a lot of people who who were struggling with, with various aspects of their mental health with the lockdown, especially this lockdown, which has seemed to have hit a lot harder than the first one did, and it, it's coincided with the cold weather and dark nights and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and reading through that piece, I got a real sense that that you know Jamie has 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 had issues, and and he's and he's come out the other side feeling stronger. Uh, and it and it does just show you if you if you're struggling, it's a great idea to go and speak to someone, to just speak to anyone, even if it's a conversation with your with your closest friend or anyone, just you know reach out to somebody and, and get a bit of help. Um, but yeah, I mean it's 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 incredible, isn't it? Because there's been these stories over the over the last few years about players with uh, with issues with mental health and stuff like that, and you'll always get some idiot who comes on and say, well, what's what's a footballer got to be depressed about? You know, they're they're in the best job in the world. And it can affect anyone. It can affect anyone at any time, regardless of how much money you earn, uh, what your status in life is, or anything like that. So it is a really important topic. And I, I, I thought it was a great piece as well. And hats off to Jamie for opening up. Yeah, it is such an important thing to talk about. And, and it is okay to not be okay. And I know that that is the message that's out there at the moment. And um, I mean, Jamie is trying to rebuild his career now with Hartlepool he wants to play regularly he's 25 and he he really hasn't played that many uh, games and that's partly that he's had so many injury problems but also obviously mental health problems and I really wish him the very best going forward he already has helped people because I know that people have been getting in, in contact with him or have been getting in contact with others because of because of his message out there and yeah really it's stories like this, the courage that is shown. That as you say, at a time like this, people really do need to reach out if possible. And it's 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 not it's not a sign of weakness at all. In fact, it's a, it's a sign of strength to sort of admit that you're struggling and to try and seek that help. Okay, we're going to crack on now with uh, a little look back into the annals of history, the archive. Uh, we've done a few of these. This is the furthest back we've gone. 20 years ago this week, Newcastle United, under Sir Bobby Robson, uh, beat a fly in Leeds United team 3-1 without Alan Shearer, without a few of the big names, with some young players and a mix of old experience as well. And we've got a clip coming now. Good football being played by Bobby Robson's team. And this is... Luan Luan now, and Basedas, still with Basedas, support now from Wayne Quinn, the deep cross, Solano down, and that's another one, and it's Shola Amiobi, his second premiership goal, it's 3-1, and this is a tremendous performance for Newcastle. 
Ah, oh, good old Roger Thames there yeah, on the commentary. Brilliant. And a young Shola Obi popping up and netting his second ever Premier League goal for Newcastle United. Just a slip of a lad when I watched the video. Nout on him at all. Uh, what a team, though, that was. And also a 3-1 win at Allen Road against a Leeds team who were was packed with talent at the time. Yes. I mean, Chris wasn't even born then, so I should probably... Um, oh I should probably uh, know this. I, can't, I don't know if I was there. I might have been there. I might have been... Um, I might have been reporting on this game for the Times. I definitely can't remember that. I do remember the team being massively ravaged by injury at that at that point, as you said, no Shearer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they'd they'd lost in the cup. They'd gone out of the cup, I think, in the third round, the third round replay, not long before. And it was at that sort of time when Bobby was still uh, kind of rebuilding the team. So they'd finished. 11th this season before and I think they finished 11th this season as well so it's before he got them back up to the top of the table and he was um, you know getting them getting them back into shape so you sort of look at the team you know hearing there on the um, on the commentary people like Basidas and Basidas yeah Basidas and Nakuna were in the team and Wayne Quinn and people like that he really did Kevin Gallagher started the game and Kevin Gallagher and Kevin Gallagher was yeah he was Bobby's I think he was Bobby's. I'm pretty sure he's Bobby's first signing. I did and like they him. He was a good little player. Yeah, he was. He was. He was really good. He immediately came in and sort of lifted things. And they had no money. I mean, they had no. They'd had no money at that point, which is why he was having to spend uh, half a million on um, on Kevin Gallagher. I think it was something like that. Not much more. Yeah, and they went to went to Leeds and won. It got me thinking when you mentioned we were going to do this. It got me thinking. I is I was trying to remember when it was so this is actually it turns out to be completely irrelevant but I mean, it's not gonna, that's not going to stop me but there was a time that I was <laughs> in the I was in the away end at Ellen Road so this is this is actually before then because uh, it was before I joined the Times and I remember the, the away end was adjacent it was next to it was at one of the ends obviously but the bit it was adjacent to was the family section at Ellen Road and and it was brilliant it was brilliant so I was at the end of one row for whatever this match was literally right at the end of the row and then there's the gap and then there were stewards and and the row next to me so the closest possible seats to me but in the family end family stand at Ellen Road family section there was this skinhead fella with his skinhead son uh, sitting sitting next to him and they both spent the entirety of the 90 minutes doing wanker signs at me <laughs> and this father looking so proud of his little son um, that's Leeds for you. I thought, so they yeah. knew you did the George. They knew you. They did. Yes, they did. They were familiar with me and my um, and my reputation. Yeah, I just thought, what chance have you got? Oh, what chance have you got? Oh, that team, Chris, had had a fantastic mix of uh, of uh, youthful exuberance and, and more experienced heads as well. Gary Speed and Duncan Ferguson and players like this. And then you had the young guns coming through, Shaul Amiobi and 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 Kieran Dyer and people like that. I mean, what you'd give for some of those players now? Oh, it was absolutely some of the names you they said absolutely superb. Aaron Hughes, Gary Speed, Warren Barton was still there. Nobby Solano mm. was Rob was Lee in, was in his still pomp. There. Rob Lee was in a, was 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 still there. Yes, Shola just coming through and 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 I mean the, the amazing thing though is as George said that team is injury ravaged and the bench is amazing. I mean John Carelsa, yeah. Marcelino, Basadas. <laughs> Cordoni and Lu- and Lualawa. I mean, what a bench! Whoa, that's a five-a-side team, isn't it? <laughs> and Leeds, Leeds, Leeds were really good. They were so point. good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they were, they were, they were. You know, uh, I'm sure they finished in the top three or four that season. So now when they got the Champions League semi-final, I'm sure yeah. they got yeah. the Champions League. Yeah, they yeah, had, it they might have been that season. Harry Kewell and Mark Viduka, Jonathan Wood, Gabriel Ferdinand, yeah. uh, Ian Hart. They had some. They had some wonderful. Lee Boyer Pro- in midfield. Yeah, yeah, some wonderful pro- players. Proper young, uh, yeah. sort of really exciting team. And um, I mean, one of the sort of, I mean, maybe maybe Newcastle fans might not think it's sad, but I, I think I sort of think one of the sad things about this season is that Leeds's return to the Premier League has not seen Ellen Road in action. And it is, it remains one of the great, raw, horrible, hostile uh, you know, you know, really nasty places, and I mean that with admiration. I don't. I mean, I mean that with great admiration. I mean the same way that St James's Park used to be, but um, it would have been fabulous to see them playing 
the style of football they're playing under under Marcello Bielsa with Elland Road full and rocking and bouncing. It was always one of those away trips that you sort of approach with trepidation because there was always there was always that kind of like spiky feeling to it and that you know that edge to it and yeah. it's that sort of stadium. I was there in the championship when when we went down a few years ago with with uh, with Rafa's team and and watching from the away end and it was miserable day it was pissing down freezing cold and you know there was just drunk people falling on me it was a bloke pissing on me shoes uh, it was brilliant <laughs> absolutely loved it <laughs> what an afternoon it was great oh yes so there we go looking back at Sir Bobby Robson's team beating Leeds United 3-1 in on the 20th of January 2001 lovely stuff well there we go chaps that's it for this week thanks a lot for your time George and Chris as always we could really do with some of those uh some of those Bobby Robson era players in the team at the minute in their pomp that would uh, that would certainly help us out, wouldn't it, Chris? I mean, you could put any of those players at the team, and it would literally even Chris Ambassadors. Well, yeah, I was going to say, except maybe <laughs> the players were mentioned from the bench, but the, the rest of them, absolutely. George, thanks a lot for your time. No, I don't care about any of this. I'm just going to spend a week researching potential quiz answers and thinking about nice pubs I could drink in that I'm not allowed to. I hope you realise I'm going to make things especially devilish for the pair of you next week. Uh, I don't want anybody to uh, to rein in my lead in the quiz championships. Thanks as always uh, for listening, all you lot out there. Please remember to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any shows. Leave us a review and a rating if you're feeling generous. And we shall see you next time on Pod on the Time. Thanks a lot. Take care. The Athletic. <laughs>